Welcome back to Behind the Wealth. I'm your host, Roger Abel, joined by Elias Randall today. Uh, we're here to talk about the 10 financial planning considerations that you should think about doing before the end of the year. Uh, it's been a pretty crazy 2020. I think most people are going to find this as a maybe the most memorable year of their life, probably in a not-so-good way. Uh, but either way, it's going to be memorable. Even though there's been a lot of chaos this year, it doesn't mean that... Uh, there's financial obligations or different things we shouldn't be doing just because 2020 has been crazy. It's not a free pass to say, forget everything and not do the little things that can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing to bring up because kind of one of the jokes or all the inter, a lot of internet memes right now are just about let's be done with 2020 and move on uh, to 2021. So this will be a good reminder. There are some things to probably think about. And uh, as far as your, financial planning concerns go. Um, maybe it's not time to just totally forget 2020 and move on. Or at least consider these 10 things and then move on. At least think about it yeah. a little bit. That'd probably be a good idea. Uh, all right. So number one, get started investing. We talk about this a lot, but the number one thing that's going to help you build wealth long term is you paying yourself first. Uh, it's never too late to get started investing. I hear a lot of people, well, is now a time is now a good time to invest. The stock market is at all time highs. Do you think there's going to be a better time to put some money in? Um, at the end of the day, we don't know what the market's going to do over the next three, six, 12 months, two years. But if we give this a long period of time, we'd argue that it's always a good time to invest. Um, it's similar to buying land, right? If you just continually buy new acres of land, well, that strategy will probably work out for you, even though you bought a bunch of acres at different prices. Yeah, and I, I like starting with a simple one here. So just getting started, because um, it's all, it's just like anything, whether you are taking on a new project at work or maybe doing some sort of remodel at your house, the hardest step is always just getting started, right? So whether you want to get started for yourself or hire somebody to help you get started, um, it's, it can really just be as simple as just start, get a get an account open and start buying something and just get started working towards something. Right. And I think sometimes people view investing as overwhelming or believe that they need some large amount of money to do this. At the end of the day, there's custodians out there that'll take $50 a month from somebody. And you'd be surprised to learn what $50 every month over a really long period of time adds up to. In fact, if you looked at most people's pay, pay stubs and went in there, it says how much are you contributing to their 401k? And they may have been doing this for 30 years, right? They might have a 401k with 800,000, just I'm making up a number, but they may only be putting in 50 or $90 a pay period. So most wealth is built through small contributions over a long period of time. Um, as you mentioned, open an account. So how do you do that? One, you could go to our website, btwellshow.com and request some help and we can help you do that. Two, there's online services that you could go open your own account. There's a lot of popular ones out there, Robinhood, E-Trade. This isn't an endorsement of any of those, but these are some of the popular places people go if they wanna to try to do this themselves. Um, and keep it simple. You know, you could buy just an index fund or something that tracks something you're interested in. We talk about it a lot. Diversification is important. Don't put all your money into one basket. You know, spread this out through a lot of different investments um, and give yourself a, a good opportunity to make money. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say for uh, people who are interested in 
working with a professional or hiring someone, at least for our process, the first step for us is it's a 20 minute conversation about what's going to make you happy working with us. So to me, that's a pretty, like that's a low barrier to get over to just have a conversation with someone and maybe if you have questions, you can get them answered. Or if you're on the fence, maybe that'll just be the little bit of push you need to get going. Yeah, that's a really good point. Sometimes you need someone to help you make the leap. Um, A lot of times people, if they're not educated or don't feel very knowledgeable about something, they just don't do it. And we talk about this a lot, but we're here to provide time, desire, and knowledge for people. That's why you choose to work with the professional um, in our industry. So step one, get invest, get, get investing. If you haven't done it, let's get started. Um, and there's no bad time to do it. No. Nope. So two moves us on to charitable giving. Um, and charitable giving seems to really accelerate this time of year. I think people start to feel like good about giving or even if they maybe don't always want to be charitably charitably inclined at Christmas time they feel like they should um, but there's some advantages to giving you know charitable gifts uh, there's some tax benefits associated with them and in some of the some of the overall limits have been changed this year Elias yeah so some of the limits have been raised as far as how much you can deduct for charitable giving and uh you know, we're not CPA, so we probably shouldn't get too far into the weeds on all that. Um, but if you're already someone who's giving, maybe this year's an opportunity to do more. Um, or if you're just in the mood to do it, doing it's going to have provide a good tax advantage. So I would, uh, I would direct people to check out the IRS website, just irs.gov, and they also have a uh, like a, a coronavirus tax relief page on there with a lot of information about the changes for 2020. And then, um, you know, obviously, if you're working with a CPA or an accountant, lean on that person for uh, what the best course of action is for you. I know one of the things I've been doing the last couple of weeks is really working closely with the CPA that most of my people I work with go to. And we're really trying to maximize the charitable giving and some other things we're going to mention in the show. But this is a meaningful time for people. to potentially take advantage of some tax benefits that maybe they're not thinking about the rest of the year and aren't just clearly in front of you, right? We all right. know like mortgages to, is, mortgage interest is deductible and property taxes and those things, but there's other things that you may be doing that maybe you're not doing them the most efficient way possible. So get with your CPA and your advisor and kind of build this little team that can work in concert together versus you know, two people may be working against each other. I think every time I get the CPA involved with my clients and we form this team, you know, it just seems to work better for everybody. Yeah, you're probably really making good decisions, feeling really good about those. And as far as charitable giving, it's a win-win. You can feel good about helping people and you get a tax deduction. So really, it's well, what's not to like about that? No, for sure. And in, in what actually happens when you work in conjunction with this CPA, it makes the investor's life easier. Because when tax time rolls around, which it does every single year, they're gonna get all these reports that says, these are your gains and your losses. And inevitably what happens if we haven't formed this team with a CPA? Well, guess who's calling me? The client on behalf of the CPA. And it's just so much easier to just be working in partnership with somebody versus you know playing the, the telephone game. Because by the time it gets back to that third person, 
the story's changed a little bit. Right, um, right. So I, I implore people, if you're not doing that, maybe this is a good time to explore, hey, who does my financial work with, my financial advisor work with? And if he doesn't work with the CPA, maybe I can team him up with my person, or maybe as a recommendation, we can build this kind of team environment. Yeah, yeah, and when it comes to the IRS, you probably always really want to have your ducks in a row, I would think. So you don't want to make any mistakes, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that's the one person I don't really want to get in trouble with. No, no one does. Uh, three, this is um, this is a lot of people, and they don't think about this, but if you're self-employed, maybe it's time to start thinking about a retirement plan and utilize some tax benefits that are associated with it. Um, we just talked about what a CPA can do, but they can actually help determine what style of plan is best for you based upon whether you're a pass-through, an S-corp entity, or you're a C-corp, or you're a solo practitioner. There's different plans that are more beneficial than others. And a CPA can really say, hey, the best way to maximize this is by doing it this way. I know I personally just met with my CPA to go through some of these scenarios based upon my, my individual business structure. But let's talk about some of the plans, Elias, that people that are self-employed can use, and I always think it's easiest to start with the simplest plan. Yeah, yep, it is. And like you said, there's several options. The easiest one is to open an IRA account. You can do this on an online brokerage. You can do it through a financial advisor. And um, anybody, as long as you have a certain amount of earned income, can open an IRA. And really, there's, there's really one decision, which that's easy too is do you want to do a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA and the difference is in just how they're taxed right so your traditional IRA the money goes in pre-tax those dollars grow tax deferred when you take out distributions you're going to pay ordinary income tax on those dollars with the Roth IRA you're paying your taxes today money goes into the account it grows tax-free take money out in retirement um, that money's tax-free. So um, that would be a good conversation too to have with the professionals you work with is, is a traditional IRA better or a Roth IRA better for me? Um, I think in general, you know, it's easy to say in general, um, there's some things people say, like a lot of people say you should, uh, you want to defer your taxes while you're working because you'll be in a lower income tax bracket in retirement. And that is true for some people. That's not true for other people. And then there's also kind of some general advice of just pay your taxes today, put your money in the Roth, and then you know you will never have a future tax bill again. Um, so that's kind of just in general some ideas, but obviously every scenario is different and every situation is specific to to the investor, to the client. And for the small business owner, I, I see these most utilized with business owners or self-employed people that haven't really established a wage history yet, meaning maybe it's their first or their second year, they're not showing a lot of business income because if there's no business income, it really limits what someone could do into some other type of a qualified plan. Mm -hmm. And most businesses in the first year, after all their tax benefits and things of that sort, may not show a meaningful profit. So just the traditional IRAs work well for those people um, just starting out. But as these businesses blossom and grow and start to add revenues, we move on to some of what I would call the, the more sophisticated type plans. Um, 
and one would be a solo 401k. And, and this is really meant for the business owner who wants to have a plan similar to what he would have at a major employer with a good amount of investment options, but it's a single owner typically with maybe a spouse involved. We, okay. we have minimal amount of employees here. Uh, you need to have some W-2 income or some good net business income to make this a viable option. But this is why you go engage a financial advisor or CPA to help you make those decisions. I know the solo 401k offers additional benefits of just putting money in from a peer 401k deferral. They hear the word 401k and they're like, well, okay, that's roughly 19,000 a year we can put into the 401k. Yep. But it also, a lot of these solo 401ks offer a profit sharing plan, which allows you to put significantly more money into this plan on the back end. Um, and, and that's where a good CPA, once again, can say, hey, you're eligible to put in another $23,000 into this plan, plus you're 19, well, now you got $42,000. That's a significant tax benefit for a small business owner to be able to defer that amount of income if they so choose. And the, the really neat thing about a solo 401k is it has this 401k side and this profit sharing side, but the 401k in most plans, you still can have the option of doing a traditional 401k, which is tax deductible. Or if you're a high income earner, you could actually do a Roth 401k. So yeah. there's a lot of flexibility within those plans that I like for people. They come with the same benefits of a traditional 401k. So they have loan provisions, they have hardship withdrawal provisions. Some of those provisions, you know, there's not a loan provision on an IRA. So there's some provisions added in there for a business owner who maybe is in a very capital intensive business to be able to get some capital if need be out of the plan. Yeah, and you know, like you're saying, so being in a business where capital intensive business, that might, kind of steer someone away from doing a retirement plan because they feel like they need access to those dollars. So that's one of the great things of the flexibility of the solo 401k is if things are great this year, you can stash that money away, you get your tax deduction. And then with the loan provisions, if you really need it, which obviously we're financial planners, so we're not, we typically don't advise people to borrow from their retirement accounts, but a person, especially a year like 2020, you're trying to keep a business afloat in a year that maybe revenues are lower because of coronavirus and everything that has gone on. You know, you might have to do something like that. And at least, you know, you can if you really need to. Yeah, I know. I, I had an individual I worked with and he was trying to buy some, you know, real estate for he, he was a physician, but he wanted to buy some real estate, but he didn't want to save it in cash. He wanted to put it in a retirement account. But one of the flexibility to go take it out if he needed to. So he started putting, you know, basically maxing this thing out and he never came back for the money. But the reason he did it in, and if he wouldn't have had the ability to have the flexibility to take money out of that, knowing in his mind he could do that, he never would have got this plan started. But he's been maxing this out now for the, like the last 10 years and he's looking pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but, but once again, he wouldn't have got started because in the back of the mind, He's saying to himself, man, I'm giving up all access to this money where this plan, because of that loan provision, he wasn't. And we're not advocating people take loans from the 401k, like you said. You know, that's kind of the, the, the last resort, but it is there and becomes, you know, kind of the emergency emergency fund for somebody that's yep. in a business situation. Yeah. 
Um, the maximum you can put into those is around 57,000. It seems like this goes up every single year. So um, a key thing to think about too is they only allow you, if you're, if you're a pass-through corporation, meaning you're paying yourself a W-2 and then the rest is coming in as some kind of different earnings, uh, you, you're eligible to put up to 25% of your W-2 income into this or 25% of your net business income whether you're you're a solo practitioner or uh, an S corporation. All right, so we did a really good job covering the solo 401k, but another plan that I see utilized a lot is a SEP IRA. Um, and I, I think historically the self-employed IRA was really where where the, the small business owner or individual business owner started. And the solo 401ks have morphed more recently into popularity, but Elias, tell us a little bit about the advantage of the SEP IRA and why somebody may do that. Yeah, so this would be good for small business owner that has um, either has no employees or a few employees. So maybe like, I don't know, just 10 or less employees. It's probably a good fit. Um, it has high limits like the solo 401k. So you can do up to the 57,000. Um, and then the deductions are a little more complicated, but you can deduct the lesser of your contributions or 25% of your net self-employment income. And so there is a little bit of a caveat to these. So if you have employees, you can't start a SEP and then just save money for yourself. You have to save equally for you and your employees at the same time. And if and it's based on percentage, it's not based on a dollar amount. So if you're the business owner and you're deferring, let's say 10% of your income, salary deferral, you have to do 10% of each employee's salary deferral for them. So they're actually not saving any money, but they're getting that contribution into the SEP IRA um, on your behalf. So it can be one great vehicle for a business owner to save money and to a great added benefit for your employees that, you know, they can look at as a very good long-term benefit of working for your company. And one, one key differential between the SEP IRA and the solo 401k, which I failed to mention is the administration on a SEP IRA is easier than a solo 401k, depending upon the size of, of the solo 401k. So the dollar amount in there, you could be looking at having to get a third-party administrator, file a Form 5500, and some different tax filing associated with that 401k versus that of a, a SEP. So that's why some small business owners or self-employed people lean to the SEP route, although a lot of the solo 401ks now, um, you don't really get into to issues with the 5500. They're self-reporting up to a certain um, account value. So, so it's a little easier for newer business owners to get involved there than it used to be. So... Um, those are two great options for, for self-employed people. All right, so that moves us on to number four, Elias, and that's consider Roth conversions. And this has become a hot topic um, of discussion with people I work with, primarily due to the results of the election that just happened and the thought that there's probably going to be an increase in taxes in the future, not just because there's a new administration, but also because of the amount of money that's went into this coronavirus relief package and the amount of money that, you know, we've, we've basically created to, to save the U.S. economy. And the, the, the Roth conversion is really, for some people, could be good timing right now. 
Um, if you were a person that was potentially hit hard or had a reduced amount of income or you were laid off of work, you may be in a significantly lower tax bracket today than you were, um, say, last year. I know I have a couple of friends who are physicians, and because they halted the, uh, you know, the, the elective surgeries, their income's significantly lower this year. Um, so if they have IRAs, which I don't know if they do or not, but I'm just thinking of that. If they had IRAs, this may be the year to say, you know what, let's bite the tax burden today. Let's convert these things. Let's get them into a tax-free space. Um, if we believe long-term taxes are going to go up, it, it may be a really good time to do that. I, you know, back in March and April, it was, well, maybe now's a good time to do a Roth conversion because your balance is down 20 or 30%. percent mm-hmm. Today, that's kind of off the table. We're back right. to where that balance was before coronavirus. So that's probably not, you know, a great reason to do it. But, you know, if you want to do it this year, starting to run out of time, it doesn't mean that you can't do it next year. You know, there's some advantages to pushing the conversion into the next year, but now's a good time to plan. You know, if you push the conversion into next year, it really gives you 13 to 15 months to, to save money for that tax bill if you decided to push that conversion into 2020, 2021. But one of the things we should think about is a Roth conversion isn't for everybody. So so let's hit like who the Roth conversion actually maybe makes the most sense for Elias. Yeah, so Roth conversions, um, really they're, they, they could be right for someone who if you really like the idea of just paying your tax bill today and then knowing those dollars can grow tax-free and um, and never be taxed again as as income, um, that's a, the Roth conversion could be a good idea for you. Um, you will have, if you see value in having tax diversification in retirement, which we don't need to get you know, super into the details of that, but the ability to have different buckets of money, one where you're paying taxes out of and one that you have tax-free money. So if you could see value in that, it could be a good time for you. And then um, also someone who maybe is going to be in the same tax bracket in retirement or potentially a higher tax bracket. I know kind of one of the I'm not calling it, a, I'm not saying it's a myth, but maybe one thing about financial planning, it's an idea that you want to do all pre-tax dollars because in retirement, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. And I guess that's sometimes true, sometimes not. To me, it's more of a, it's more of a lifestyle question because if you're someone who, if you really think you're always going to have the same lifestyle, the reality is you'll probably always be in the same tax bracket. <laughs> it's exactly right. You and know, that's funny because it goes back to when I started in this business and you'd put a retirement plan together. They're like, well, you know, when someone retires, they live on about 70%. They need 70% or 80% of their income to be replaced. And over <laughs> right. time, I started thinking about this. I'm like, so wait a minute. If you live on $100,000 today and you're 64 and you retire tomorrow and you're 65, you're gonna live on 80. Yeah. I don't know too many people that can just say, yep, I'll take 20 grand less today. Like, I just don't think it works that way. So that's a really good point you just made right there. Yeah, and I actually, I guess I, 
I always just kind of took for granted. I just always thought, okay, Roth conversion's a good idea. But when I really started thinking about that, so a friend of mine, he's young, he's 31 like me, makes great income, um, is doing a really good job saving money. And he does all, he's doing all pre-tax accounts right now. So I just started talking to him about it. Well, what about doing a Roth account? And he was just, he's total, he was totally against the idea. And he goes, well, I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. So I asked him, well, how do you know that? And he goes, well, because of the ideas like you're talking about, well, because I'm only going to have like reproducing 60 to 70% of my current income. I go, so you're telling me when you don't have to work anymore, you're going to not spend money like you spend it now when you're going to have more free time and to do all the things you (laughs) like to do. So then he kind of stopped and he was thinking about it and he's, okay, well, I guess I see what you're saying. So I kind of just pose it to him as like, think of it more about the lifestyle you're going to have for your whole life and not necessarily just dollars coming out of the accounts because, you know, he's a good, he's good at saving. He's also very good at spending. And I just don't see that changing for him. It really goes back to Elias, why we like to talk to people about getting a financial plan. Because when we do the financial plan, we do a goals-based plan, which means you give us a number that you want to live on in retirement and we figure out what it takes to hit that number. Very few people come into my office and give me a lower number than what they're living on today. Typically it's like, oh, I don't really know. I guess I'd kind of like to keep my same lifestyle today. Right. I, mean, I don't, I, mean, I jokingly tell people there's only one thing worse than running out of money in retirement, and that's running out of lifestyle. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so that's a really good point about, uh, you know, thinking you're gonna be in a different tax bracket in retirement. I think about people, to, just for me to keep it simple, who Roth IRAs benefit the most, I believe is the young, right? Because they have the ability to have all this compound interest for 30 or 40 or however many years they hold on to it. The wealthy, right? Because they're an extremely high tax bracket. So Roth 401ks are a great tool or Roth conversions are great tools for them. Um, and, and the other reason for wealthy people is they most of these assets aren't gonna be spent, right? So if you think about a person who accumulated a $3 million IRA, well, if they have a $3 million IRA, they may not even ever touch that thing, especially if they were a business owner. Because the IRA may have been accumulated based more in a tax play than a retirement play. Mm-hmm. So converting yep. that asset that at some point they're going to have to start drawing a meaningful amount of income out of based upon IRS rules, converting that to an IRA or a Roth IRA to transfer to the next generation could be a really good planning tool for them because now we're perpetuating this tax-free status for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we've been working with clients recently in conjunction with CPAs and stuff about, you know, they're in retirement and they're taking money and they're looking at Roth conversions. And that's really the idea for them is they're looking, you know, they can afford to pay the taxes. So they're just trying to pay it now. And so then their kids and grandkids aren't stuck with that big tax bill when, uh, when that does happen. Yeah. So real quick, I want to hit on the people that the Roth conversion is probably not a good idea for. And I think, you know, the first type is if you can't actually pay the tax bill. Yeah. Right. We don't want to see a convert the IRA worth a hundred thousand and take the taxes out of the IRA because we're kind of defeating the purpose here. We're right. we're killing the nest egg. We need to be able to pay the taxes. Um, you need to have the money if you need the money in the next five years, right? Because if you don't have a Roth IRA open 
the Roth conversion triggers a five-year holding period before you avoid any of the penalties on the growth. So arguably, younger people or people who are buying this more as a legacy asset um, for their kids and they don't have any, any, you know, wherewithal or choice to want to have to spend this money in the near future. Um, yeah, and then the other probably consideration if the amount you're going to convert is going to step you up into another tax bracket, um, you know, paying the extra dollars on paying the extra dollars on that money, it might not really make the strategy worthwhile. So just another consideration. Right. Um, five, which is a huge topic right now, and most clients, this is a work in conjunction with them and their CPA, but it's analyzing your capital gains and losses. And this was a little bit of an opportunistic year for people. And I mean that because when the derecho, or not the derecho here in Iowa, we had the derecho, but when COVID-19 happened, account balances went down and rebalancing happened on accounts. And in some of those cases, there you had the ability or did lock in some losses in client accounts. Like I, I know I had some larger accounts that I actually went in there and harvested the losses in some of those areas so that we could offset gains that they've had for the last 20 years. Um, so this year, if you have a managed account or a brokerage account you made buys and sells in, you wanna take a look and say, hey, what do I have for losses and gains? And I'd even break it down further. What do I have for long-term losses and short-term losses? and long-term gains and short-term gains. Because if you have short-term losses, you'd ideally offset those with short-term, long-term, or short-term gains because they're taxed differently. Right. Um, so not all not all of those match up together, but work with your advisor and your CPA and say, hey, do I have some losses that I could eat up this year or some gains that I have too? Because if you rebalance at the bottom and you were still invested, you didn't cause a, cause a wash sale, yeah, gains on the way up. So it could be a very opportunistic time to be doing this. Yeah, and we should probably maybe just touch a little bit on the wash sale rule. So if you have a security that's down in value, you can't sell it, lock in the loss, and then go buy that same security in 30 days. Um, because the IRS, they have a rule that kind of, that would be a good loophole, right? Oh, well, this, this, this investment's down 10%. I'm going to lock in the 10% buy it right back for the long term. Um, so they've eliminated that with the wash sale rule. Um, but that doesn't mean you couldn't lock in a loss on a security and go find a similar investment. It has um, to be s subsequently different. So if you sell an S&P 500 index fund with company A, and then you buy an S&P 500 index fund with company B, that's not substantially different. But if you sold an index fund of some kind and went and bought an actively managed fund, that hits a different sector, that is different. Or if you yeah. sold a bond and bought stock fund, that's different. Um, so you just gotta be aware of that. Uh, make sure you're doing this right, otherwise you just could be doing a bunch of work for really no reason. Yes, and you don't wanna trigger any mistakes in front of the IRS. Yes, we wanna stay in good good graces with the IRS. Yes. Six, um, you've got about you know four or five weeks here to maximize the contributions if you can, right? So this is a good point. Once once the year for the 401k is done, it's done. You don't get the opportunity to put that money back in there. So if you put, you know, 16,000, you can put in another couple thousand dollars. Well, you should probably think about doing it. Otherwise, it's a use it or lose it type of limit. Yep. Um, but don't stretch yourself too thin. I mean, if you think about it, if you take all your Christmas money to max out your 401k, but then you have to go borrow it, 
I don't know if you really were better off doing that yeah. to save a few dollars on taxes. Right, right. And, you know, we I guess the tip here was maximize your accounts if you can. Um, you know, even if you're not going to get to the max contribution limit, but you're looking at your situation, and even if it's just like $1,000, $2,000, go ahead and throw it in for this year because once, like you said, once next year gets here, we're working on next year's limits, and this year is gone. Um, So, yeah, don't stretch yourself too thin, but also don't think, well, I can't max it out, so what's the point of doing an extra 1000 You know, in the long term, that extra 1000 could be very beneficial. Yeah. So, seven, review or change your beneficiaries. I, I think the people overlook this a lot. I think that this is an overlooked thing in our industry. It's overlooked by clients, some advisors it's overlooked by because, you know, we're really focused on the money aspect of this, which is important to us and that's important to the client. But the clients, it should be very important. Where's my money going when something happens to me? Um, I know, and it it happens a lot as you have kids that age. So I'll, I'll give you an example in my house, you know, I talked to my parents one time, like, well, who are the beneficiaries now? Well, it's still grandma and grandpa. I was like 27. I'm like, why is it grandma and grandpa? I mean, like, or if you got just got married, like, make sure it's your spouse. If you got remarried, make sure those beneficiaries are updated. Um, you may have had a situation where someone in your family's passed away that was a beneficiary. Yeah. Make sure to update that because when something happens, do you, you want your money to go where you want it to go? not where others do or where the state decides it should go. Yeah, and this is just, you know, this is administrative work, so you don't have to make any investment decisions or anything like that. And just, you know, so reviewing and changing beneficiaries, we were just talking about Roth conversions. To me, these ad, like these situations that cause administrative work is another added value and added benefit to work with a professional because for our clients, it's as simple as a phone call Hey, I was just thinking about something. I need to update my beneficiaries. Well, our staff does all the work and the paper shows up either in email or in the regular mail and it's a signature. You send it back, we submit it and it's done. I had someone email me last night. Could you verify who my beneficiaries? They tried to call the company directly. They gave up on that real fast. They were on the phone for like 20 (laughs) minutes and they said, we can't tell it to you over the phone. We have to send it to you. And she sent me an email. I confirmed in literally about 30 seconds who it was. She's like, I should have just called you in the beginning. Yes, yeah, she, yep. she should have. Uh, but it's that easy. I mean, literally, we can get a beneficiary in minutes. So why wouldn't we make sure these are updated on an annual basis? It's always a good year-end thing to just check off the list. Say, great, I'm going into 2021 with things how I want it to be. Yep, yep. Everything's organized. I know where all the money's going if something happens. So good peace of mind as well, too. Yeah. So one thing that's always in flux is the thought of um, estate taxes. We get asked, well, what about estate taxes? How do they work? Well, right now, unless you know, you're worth more than $11 million, you're probably not going to have much of an estate tax issue. Correct. But that doesn't mean it'll be that way forever. Mm-hmm. So today, gifting laws are very liberal, and you can actually give up to 15000 per beneficiary per year. So if you're one of these people who has a fairly large estate or believe you're going to have a large estate and and you have cash, it may be a good idea to utilize some gifting strategies now versus waiting to the end um, to do that. And so, so, so a good example is if you have a husband and wife and four kids, husband can give 15,000 to each child. Wife can give 15,000 to each child. 
doesn't mean you you have to gift that much, but you know if if you're chair if you want to give your kids money, it's now a good time to do it. Um, it's very easy. It's very liberal. Not many people will actually be faced with estate tax problems, but um, it's just a good tool if you're trying to get this money out of your name yep. into your kid's name sooner rather than later. Yeah, or even uh, you know even grandparents giving money to grandkids to maybe save for college or save for whatever for whatever it is that they uh, either buying a house or whatever it is they're doing. So number nine is probably one of the most important things I think for people to do right now because they got to get out of jail free card this year on the market drop. It's what I call it. It's don't pass go. It's just get out of jail free. Yep. Um, revisit your risk tolerance and portfolio diversification. So this is the litmus test I give people. Number one, do you have a financial plan? And if you don't, you should get one, which we're going to hit on. But number two, when the market went down in March and April, if you were really scared or you called your advisor and said, hey, I want to make a change or any of those really bad emotions that would lead to negative investor behavior, meaning buying high and selling low. Yeah. If your advisor or your the little bird on your shoulder or whatever it was talked you into staying in the market and writing it out, and your account's all the way back to where it was, now is still a good time to revisit making those changes that you felt when the market was really low, right? Yes. Because if we're gonna be, take, go to a more conservative investment posture, it makes sense to do it when the market is high versus when it's low. Yep, and that's one of the, that's one of the simplest pieces of advice and it's it kind of almost starts to get into boring advice. Well. When the market's at an all-time high, what should I do? What should I do? Well, let's look at rebalancing your portfolio. Maybe we're overexposed in certain areas and we need exposure in other areas, but that's why working with a professional and having a good financial plan can help you make those, <clears throat> make those decisions and you're using good statistical data, good information, and not waiting for an event that then causes an emotional decision. Yeah, you're, you're being proactive with your investments versus reactionary, which most people are reactionary, but the more proactive we can be, the better your long-term returns are gonna be. If you rebalance that portfolio back in March and you had a 50-50 portfolio, and now with the gains in the market, your portfolio is now 65% stock and you know 35% bond, we wanna rebalance it again and get it back to your risk profile. Otherwise, you're accidentally taking more risk than you're meaning to. And that's just as dangerous. So it's one of the best things you can do and look at year end. Now's a good time based upon where the market is at, right? We've all been rewarded if we stayed in. So now's a good time to look at kind of that final rebalance of the year. The last thing, and you know, this is, we're gonna save for 2020, but should probably be if you don't have one of these on your goal list for 2021, right? To put yep. it together, because you're getting late in the year here to do this. Right. To, to but you, could get, you could get started get right started, now. Get a financial plan or update your financial plan. And the reason I say update is the first 15, 14 years of my career, let's call it, we'd create a financial plan for somebody. We'd do a great job. We'd put it in this binder. We'd give it to them. They'd take it home and put it in the drawer. Right? And you may look at it every three years. Some people never look at it again. Some people haven't redone their financial plan in 10 years. 
technology has changed so much in the last three to five years in our industry that has made updating financial plans and making them really part of your daily life. They've, they've turned this financial plan from a static plan, which means it just sits there and you do nothing with it, to this dynamic plan that's almost like a living, breathing part of your financial decision making. So now is a good time to either start your financial plan or update your financial plan if this hasn't been done in a long time. If you've got a book with a binder on it yeah. and you haven't updated it, it's now time to go back and say, hey, maybe we need to put this into the computer again. Check, make sure we are. And it's kind of cool if they bring the book in though, because the book will say, hey, this is where we expect, where we thought you'd be. Where are you five years later? Right. And it's almost like a little bit of a report card. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if if you've had major life changes or like you're saying, it's been 10 years since you updated your financial plan, it's probably time to do it again. Um, you know, it is, even though that's the way business used to be done, now the way we do it, it just seems silly to think of that, how it's like, yeah, we just give them this binder and that's their plan where now it's all, this is a dynamic plan. As your life changes, the plan can change with you. And it's really cool because we can model different scenarios and, you know, everyone has questions. Well, if I do this, what's that going to look like? If I, you know, let's say it's just the difference of, should I max out my Roth or max out my 401k or just the difference between pre-tax and post-tax, you know, we can model different scenarios and then people can feel really good about what they're doing. And we've, uh, you know, we've quantified those decisions instead of just guessing and, well, I'm going to do this just because I, you know, I guess I think that's what I should do. Yeah, that's super good point. It, it also will help you dial in that right asset allocation. What the mix is between stocks and bonds gives you the highest probability to accomplish your individual goals. Um, you know, I, I think these are 10 really good things we talked about today, trying to get people prepared to end the crazy 2020, start fresh in 2021. Um, with that said, if, if someone out there needs help to financial plan, they wanna get started investing, go to btwellshow.com or call 319-531-7991. And, uh, We'll, we'd be more than happy to help you, one of the advisors here. Uh, so for this episode, we want to thank everybody, and we look forward to uh, next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.